you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, last week we started the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take our time going through the Beatitudes. Last week we looked at the poor in spirit. They are blessed. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'd also like you guys to mark Ecclesiastes chapter 7. So if you want to put a little bookmark or something in there. We'll be concluding our, our study in a passage from there. Again, this isn't the do attitudes, but it's the be attitudes, right? This is what we're called to be. So we looked at the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, verse 3 in Matthew 5. Or blessings, right? That's a godlike happiness that we talked about upon the one who realizes their own spiritual poverty, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Really? This is going to be the first thing you teach us, Jesus? You guys know this was his first teaching, right? The first thing that comes out of his mouth is, hey, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who actually know their spiritual poverty or their emptiness and then puts all their trust in God's ability to supply their spiritual need. It's all God. There's so many times we look to others, don't we? We'll run here. We'll pick up the phone, call that friend, or call the pastor, right? Or jump on Amazon, pick up that self-help book, because that's going to... No, God is it. Do you guys know that? He is it. So, um, it's good to realize our spiritual need. So you must enter the kingdom of heaven lowly, poor, and bankrupt spiritually speaking. That's what he's telling us. So if you send a sinner to school, you'll have an educated sinner, correct? I want you guys to track with me. If we send a sinner to a psychologist, you'll have a well-adjusted sinner. If you send a sinner or give them, let's say, a bunch of money, what are you going to have? A rich sinner. If you give sinner religion, you're going to have a religious sinner. But send a sinner repentant of his sins to the cross and you'll have a forgiven sinner. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's it, guys. And if you're placing your hope in anything but Jesus Christ and Him crucified, you've messed up the gospel. You haven't heard it correctly. You're putting your hope in something that is false. No religion, no denomination, nothing you do can set you right before God. The only right standing we can have is His righteousness. Amen? So the Sermon on the Mount, guys, describes the way in which we are free to live as we commit ourselves to the kingship of Jesus. You're my king. <laughs> we've turned from a bad king and we've given our allegiance to the good king. So when we realize that in Jesus, the kingdom is near to us, we are free then. You guys understand that? I love that we're called Freedom Fellowship. <laughs> we are free in Christ. That's what the Bible said. It said for the reason Jesus came was for freedom's sake. I mean, that's why he came, to set us free. And he who knows the truth shall be set free. He's promised that. So um, we have this freedom to abandon ourselves totally to the will of God. Isn't that cool? 
I'm all yours, God. <laughs> We're doing it your way, whatever your plan is. We can be confident in that, and as we obey, we act. The way we act really will shape the events in our lives. I want you guys to note a few things. This is also in the handout you guys have. The first eight characteristic traits, these beatitudes that we're going to go through, they really identify true servanthood. And that's something we're called to do, right? Follow me as I follow Christ. Well, what is Christ? Well, he came to serve, didn't he? <laughs> He's a servant of all. Okay, and we're to follow in that example. And really, these beatitudes speak to that. The second thing I want us to see is that the traits open the door to really inner happiness. There's just something in that. Really? You're telling me that these beatitudes are really a form of service, servanthood? Yeah. More blessed to give than to receive. Do you guys know that in God's economy, things are often backwards from what we've been taught in this world? His ways are much better. And it is true. We look at this. Really, the poor in spirit are going to be happy, blessed? How does that even work? And we considered that last week. If you missed the teaching, it's online. And then the third thing I want us to catch is that each character trait is a corresponding promise. I love that there's promises there. So if we really look at the first couple of Beatitudes here, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope, right? With less of you, there's more of God and his rule, and that is always a good thing. And then he tells us you're blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then are you going to be embraced by the one most dear to you. I love that promise. So blessed are those who mourn. You guys could write in there, happy are the sad. Well, that's a strange paradox, pastor. Are you going to try to explain that to me? It's actually really simple. You know, I'm bummed when, and this is why we're slowing down to go through the Beatitudes. It's easy just to read through these things and kind of overlook what God's really trying to tell us. Okay? There, there, there's an there's a awesome truth for us uh, to grasp, to be gained as we look at this pair or this uh, beatitude this morning. So let's let's ask the question: Who wants to congratulate someone because they carry a heavy burden or an aching heart? Right? Oh, you're so lucky that you're mourning. I mean, that's not even logical to us. But let's consider what God is saying here. You know, and I want you guys just to take a moment. What has been your deepest grief, your darkest grief? I'm actually going to take a moment. I want you guys to write it down. Because sometimes, and I've been very guilty of this, I just don't want to deal with it sometimes. I don't even want to think about it, talk about it. But something when we acknowledge it, that's when, I think that's the first step of really dealing with it. So what's been the deepest grief in your life? Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus says. Blessed are those who mourn when they've lost or have had lost someone recently. Or blessed are those who mourn uh, a previous marriage. Or blessed are they who mourn a wayward son or daughter who hasn't come back yet. Blessed are they who mourn maybe a dream that's fading very quickly. You see, we, we need to mourn over the absence of holiness. That's the thing we really should mourn more than anything is the absence of holiness in our lives, in our world. You see, we need to mourn when we don't, <clears throat> we don't even blush about things we should blush about. You guys know what I'm talking about? Someone once said this, and I love it. If you want to know someone's character, 
Find out what makes him laugh and what makes him weep. That's how you really get to know somebody. What do they really care about? Really get to know their heart. So what we laugh at and what we weep over indicates our values of life. And values really are a part of our maturity. Are we growing up? So blessed are those who mourn. Okay, What is to mourn? Well, in the Greek, it's the word pentheo, which is to lament, to grieve, to mourn for the dead. Okay? Um, a guy by the name of Trench said this, to grieve with a grief which so takes possession of a whole being that it cannot be hid. Kittles said this, in most instances it is a sorrow which is outwardly expressed in some way by tears, by laments, or that which is least associated with such expressions. Augustine said, mourning is sadness at the loss of things held dear. So guys, when pain is kept inside, it poisons the emotional system in the same way an infection spreads through the bloodstream. So the main thrust of the Beatitudes is the supernatural sorrow. We need to understand this. This is beyond us. This is a God thing that he's speaking to us. So Jesus is really talking about repentance of sin. That's the essence here. You guys can jot down 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. It says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. That's the type of mourning. Blessed are those who mourn in that way. They're broken over their sin, the lack of holiness in one's life. That mourning, this is what he's talking about. And people will mourn lesser things, temporal things, things that will come and go. Jesus is talking about this is an eternal thing. This is what life is all about. And how many of us have actually found ourselves broken over our sin in such a way? Truly lamenting over our sin. I think that's when a person truly gets saved. Okay? Again, it's faith in Christ. And I'm not saying you need a radical, but I, I've, I've led enough people to Jesus Christ. I've seen true brokenness before God. And there's a true lament over sin. They understand it's forgiveness of their sin. That's what salvation's about. It's not just adding Jesus to my life because it's going to make life better. Okay, That's not going to save anybody. That's a false gospel. We need saving from ourselves, from our sin. That's why Jesus came. Amen? So this is the very logical response then to the first beatitude. Okay? Again, context is important. We never want to just pick out a verse here or there. Yeah, we have slowed down just to do one beatitude at a time just because they are so rich. But again, we've got to keep going back to the context of the Scriptures. So the logical response then here is to the first beatitude when a person sees that they're spiritually bankrupt, that spiritual bankruptcy he can respond to then in one of four ways. One, he can deny his spiritual bankruptcy even exists. Oh, I'm okay. I'm all good. I went to church this week. You know, People can just deny it, or I don't even care. There is no God. I mean, that's how ridiculous we've gotten. We don't even want to even acknowledge that there's a creator, even though creation's all around us. I mean, that's how, anyways, you guys get it. Um, it's kind of like the Pharisees, okay? They put up a front. Look at me, right? Look at all the good stuff I'm doing. So he can admit his spiritual bankruptcy and try to change things themselves. That's another thing people try to do. Okay, I see it. 
And now I'm going to do this. I'm going to read this book, and if I keep, you really keep trying just to do these things, then I'll fix it. I'll work it out, and then I'll be okay because I'm the one doing it. He can also admit his need or his, uh, his despair over it, and he gives up completely. Have you known people who've done that? I have. I've had loved ones take their own lives because they just couldn't take it under the weight of their sin. They messed up so bad. What am I going to do? There is no hope. I'm just going to end. Judas is a great example of that, right? Was he a man who was sorrowful? Yeah. Bummer. I sinned, but instead of repenting, what do you do? I'm just out of here. I'm going to take my own life. And then the logical thing is to do what? To admit your own spiritual needs and turn to God for what that need is. That's the logical thing to do. But people aren't very logical nowadays. They'll do everything except go to him. So a person truly poor in spirit will mourn over himself, his sins, and through his mourning experience the comfort of God. That's when it gets good. I can tell you guys, there's not a whole lot of things that bring me comfort. I have comfort foods, but then my body regrets it and starts hurting, and it's just not a win, you know? And I can really tell you guys, the longer I live in this life, the only true comfort that there really is is the comfort that God alone can give, you know? I've tried a lot of things. I'm sure you guys can testify to the same thing. We've tried a lot of things. If I just do this or that or have the right people in my life or if I have another child, you know, all these things will finally bring that comfort. When I'm looking. No, God is the one who does that. So we must distinguish then between regret, remorse, and repentance. Okay? We've got to get a grasp on the difference of these you see, regret is when my conscience of sin rests only in my mind, okay? That's regret. I know up here that it's wrong. I've thought, thought it through, <laughs> come to these conclusions. I know it's wrong. But remorse is when it actually affects the mind and the heart. It's actually hitting home, like, oh boy, there's a weight to this. It's not just, like, yeah, I know I did it wrong, but you're actually feeling the weight of it, okay? So remorse um, and, it, and remorse left just here, not dealt with, that's very dangerous. That can become very destructive. And then we have repentance, which you guys know that I think that's the most beautiful word in all of the Bible. <laughs> Repent. People don't like that, but repentance is beautiful. Let's turn to God. There's nothing better, right? So repentance is when... That concern for my sin brings me to the place where I'm willing to actually turn from it, to truly repent, turn from it, and obey God. You're turning to God and saying, yes, God, your way. That's true repentance. So when my concern affects my will, as well as my mind and my heart, then I have experienced true repentance. And that is beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. Guys, think with me back to the story of the prodigal son. We're all familiar with that? Good. So he involved, it really, for him, it involved his mind, his heart, and his will. If you think about it, his mind told him his father's servants were better off than he was, right? And then his heart really made him sick of his situation. Here I am. I'm perishing of hunger. You know, I'm starving to death here. And my daddy's servants have it better than I do. And then his will, he was motivated then to arise and go where? To his father. 
Okay. You guys see the process there? That's how it should work. Okay. You got to be in that place. I'm going to go to my heavenly father. So some people just like staying in the pig pen. <laughs> you know? uh, we shouldn't. So we need to mourn for what? Well, mourn over sin. Okay. And really, yeah, that's, that's what he's talking here. So what's your attitude towards sin? I think we got to check ourselves, right? What's your attitude towards sin? That's okay. I'm forgiven anyways. God's gracious, right? I call that greasy grace. You guys know people like that? I'm just going to keep on sinning. It's all good. God's forgiven me anyways. You better check yourself. That's not what it's about, how it works. Uh, so how do you see your sin? What's your attitude towards it? Do you see it the way that God sees it? And do you seek to treat it the way that God treats it? Does God, is God okay with sin? He hates sin. Okay? He did everything to deal with it. He laid down his own life. So... If you try to cover your sin or to defend it, you certainly have a wrong attitude. And we're good at justifying our sin sometimes, don't we? No, we need to confront it. Don't cover it up. Okay? I know some of the guys, you're into pornography. You're hiding it. You're covering it up. Why? Well, I don't want people to know. It's not that big of a deal. It's not really hurting anybody. No, it is. You need to see what sin is. And it isn't just a place where I just know it's wrong. It's coming to a point of hating it. That's when I've seen men get victory over pornography. Is when they come to a place of not just, oh, I know it's wrong, I've stopped it. But no, you see it the way God sees it. He hates it. Why? Because it's destroying people. It's killing people. It's wrecking families. It's destroying young women's lives. When do you hate sin? You guys understand that? Okay? We have a holocaust going on in this nation. Babies are being killed. 8,000 today. When are we going to hate sin enough to say, well, it's just been going on. There's nothing I can do about it. No, do you hate it enough to actually say something? Do you hate it enough <laughs> actually to do something? Are you willing to go online and maybe support a ministry that's actually ministering to women who are thinking about killing their baby? When do we get to that point? It's when we see things the way God does. Okay? And we're going to understand. And it'll become easy when you begin to look at the Ten Commandments. Very simple, right? Well, we don't want to steal from anybody. <laughs> right? We don't want to lie about things. We want truth. We want truth. Because God is truth. So, we need to be in a place that we are willing to admit that we have wrong attitudes and allow God to rearrange our thinking about stuff. So, um, mourn for himself in what he has done. That's a good place to be in. So are you able to say, oh, wretched man, that I am? Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Have you guys ever found yourself in that place where you're crying out like Paul was? You know, I'm the chief of sinners. Who's going to deliver me? How am I going to get over this to really see it? Psalm 38, 18 says, For I will declare my iniquity... And I will be sorry for my sin. Actually, to truly be in that place is a beautiful thing. Also, to mourn for himself in what he does. So ask yourself, what is it in me that makes me behave like that? Actually, examine yourselves. What is going on? Why should I be so irritable? Or why should I, 
you know, <laughs> be having this bad temper? Or why am I not able to control myself? Or why am I harboring this, choosing to be unkind or jealous or envious in these thoughts? You know, what is in me? Be real about it. So blessed is the man who is not only conscious of his failure, but who grieves over it, who takes heart. You guys understand, God is promising happiness. Well, pastor, I don't like this because we're talking about sin. Yeah, we talk about sin a lot because it's in the Bible. That's the problem. But are we willing to be real about it? To really address it? To really examine ourselves? Because I know a lot of us, it's easy to judge others, to see sin in others, but do we actually take that time like, Lord, I know I'm not perfected. God, I might even be blind to sin in my own life in my thoughts, in my heart. Would you reveal those things? Do you actually search the scriptures? Do you slow down enough to actually consider what it means to blessed are those who mourn? A lot of people just read this and like, oh, it's when we're just going through a real hardship. You know, life threw me a curveball. I've had a loss. Yeah, God cares. But what he's talking about here, he cares about holiness. He cares about this stuff. So blessed is the man who is so grieved over his moral and his spiritual lack that he turns his face towards him who is able to supply all of the need. And the last thing I kind of want to pull out of this is those that mourn for the sin of others. So it's not just our personal sin, but it's really the sins of others. Have you guys ever had to pull over on the side of the road because you began to weep so much just because of the sin that is all around us? Has your heart ever broken in such a way that you actually care because our kids are being lied to across the street here? They're being told in classes that there's no God. Do you guys care? We should. We should. I think of Jeremiah. You guys know that man wept. He was a weeping prophet over the captivity of his people. Here they are, they're enslaved. Do you guys care that people are enslaved by the enemy? That Satan has blinded them from the gospel? I think of Jesus. He wept over Jerusalem. He came to save them. And he knew what they were going to do, that they were going to reject him, that they would want him to be crucified and to die. I think of Paul, the churches that he ministered to, how he'd weep over them, mourn for them. Maybe you mourn over the wife who's left her husband for another or for a man who has bailed on his responsibilities or for a friend, uh, friend's child who's rude to his parents or maybe you mourn for those backslidden friends of yours. You see, blessed therefore is the believer that shares with Jesus the pain and anguish of a world gone wrong. Blessed are the, the believer who enters into fellowship of his sufferings. Blessed is he that fills up that which is lacking of the suffering of Christ, uh, his own body. So blessed is he who struggles under the weight of a friend's pain, of a friend's agony. So there's blessings that come when we actually care for others, guys. And we weep for them. The second part of this beatitude, verse 4, it says, for they shall be comforted. So blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. 
That's pretty neat. So one of life's major mistakes is being the last member in the family to come down with the flu. Why? Because all the sympathy's already passed, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, bummer, nobody cares that I'm sick. Everybody else is starting to feel good, you know? So what type of comfort are we talking about here? This is God's comfort. Do you guys know that his is a little different than ours? No, way different than ours. Let's consider this for a second together. Um, this is God's comfort. I think the best way I can describe it, it's sorrow <laughs> that's turned into joy, okay? That's God's comfort, okay? He comes to us. He knows when we're mourning, <laughs> when, we're, when we're sorrowful, and he comes and he brings joy into it. I don't know about you guys, but I find joy in just the truth of being born again. There's times I'm really down, and the thing I cling to is, wow, God loves me, and I'm really saved. I'm really his. I'm really born again. I have a future and a hope. I get to spend forever, though this moment might really suck. I have forever with him in paradise and heaven, with my friends and my family who love him and know him. It's going to be wonderful, okay? And sometimes we just need to stand in that truth and look to him in that because then he brings that. That's the truth, the foremost truth, at least for me, that my heavenly father brings comfort to me when I'm down. That's what the Holy Spirit speaks to me, son, I love you. I'm here with you. You're not alone. You're going to be with me forever. I love that. So, um, comfort, okay? It comes from two Latin words meaning with strength. So it's to encourage with strength. That's what this word encompasses. I think that's cool. So our morning puts us in touch with the eternal resources of God, and the result then is of God's comfort. In Psalm 138, verse 3, it says, The moment I called out, you stepped in. You made my life large with strength. That's what he does, guys. God steps in, and he does what we can't. So what four ways do we find comfort? I'm glad you guys asked, okay? You can jot these down in your notes. It's through God, number one. You're going to find strength through God. Well, you just need exercise. No, exercise is good, okay? Timothy even said that, right? Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness, and that profits a lot, okay? So God's number one, right? So it's through God. It's through the scriptures. Open up the word of God. Okay? I'm guilty of running to a lot of other guys and what they have to say. You know? And it's just been refreshing. You guys know that little Bible I got with me all the time? I purposely picked up a small Bible just to have on my person. I carry that with me all the time. It's in my coat pocket right now. I just always have my little Bible. Why? Because, hey, it's right there. You know? Even if I get stuck at a train, you know? <laughs> it's just like, I'll pull this out for a minute. It's just good, just to, even if it's just a few scriptures, but just to get into the Word of God. You find comfort there. And then the Holy Spirit. Some of us don't like to think about the reality of the Holy Spirit. It's a little foreign to me, but no, that's how God. God the Father is seated in heaven with God the Son. <laughs> and he sent us who? The Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Okay? It's the Spirit of God that works in our lives, that is meeting with us. It's God himself. <laughs> this is how he works. And we've got to be okay with that. Do you guys ever take that time just to be with him? You know, there's times, I have a hard time turning off my brain sometimes, but it's good. Just land and stop. <laughs> just stop and just hang with God. Just know that he's there. That is a good thing to do. 
Also, the last one, his people. So we find comfort through God, through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, and through his people. Aren't we called not to forsake the gathering together? Right? Hebrews 10 tells us that. Why? There's a purpose God's given to the church. We are here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And there's a beautiful thing that happens when we do come together. We're encouraged. Okay? It's not about a building. Okay? It's not about a worship service. It's about us truly coming together as believers. We find comfort in that. Just bumping into you guys at the grocery store, I get encouraged. Even if I don't talk, maybe you don't even see me because I saw you down a few rows. But I just love seeing another brother. You guys ever get that? You just see a brother says, ah, oh, there's another believer. They know Jesus. My day was kind of stinky. And now I'm comforted. Because I know there's others out there. <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. Fellowship's good. So those who enter into the fellowship of Christ's suffering do find comfort, we're told. So they find it not only later in the by and by, but in the here and now. That is for us here and now. And some of us feel like that's... I haven't had that in a long time. No, God's promised this here and now. Okay, This is a promise. These Beatitudes are promises. So they will find it in all circumstances, in all situations. It is there. Um, I don't know why my head's going here, but I'm just going to throw it out real quick. Um, I've been chewing on, and I'm wanting to do a study one day on how um, courage is what trumps fear in the Scriptures. Because we're told not to fret not or to fear not in scriptures. But it's hard because we still fear. Okay? And that's, that's okay in life to have fears. What God is asking us to do is to find courage in those things. Okay? And that's where things get fun with God. Because when we feel overwhelmed, God is asking us to step out in faith. Okay? And you might be asked to go it alone. Well, this is a hard thing. I don't know how it's going to shake out, what it's going to look like. But God asks us to have courage, to take courage, to be courageous. And I just want to encourage you guys, because there are so many things we go through in this life. There's going to be so many circumstances. There may be things you're facing today, you know, some situation that just seems overwhelming. It may be, you may find yourself in fear. Don't beat yourself up because of the fear. I'd encourage you to be courageous in that fear. That's what God asks us to do. Just be courageous. Step out in that. Okay? God knows and he's there. You see, tears are really investments in future joy. I truly believe that. There's things that are broken right now that you're weeping over. Um, yeah. Again, I think our world is very negative. <laughs> And, and we, tell each, we tell ourselves that it's not okay to be broken. Okay? It's not okay to be going through a trial because I'm a Christian. I'm spiritual. I should have it all together. Things should be so much easier, right? No, <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Again, blessed are those who mourn. Do you guys get this? It's okay in God's eyes. For some reason, we want to just say we have it all together. You know, some of you came to church today and I asked you, how are you doing? Oh, everything's good, Pastor. <laughs> no, I had a cruddy week. 
know, we can be honest. We go through things. Life isn't always easy. You know, it is hard at times. And it is okay because I believe that the hardships make us, allow us to enjoy the good things in life. You guys know what I'm saying? Because if it was always just the same, everything's just okay. You guys understand like the good news wouldn't be good unless there's bad news. We're not going to enjoy things unless there's cruddy things. That's just part of life. Does that make sense? So be okay when things are not okay. Because know that God's got you. Okay? There is good in view. We keep pressing on. There is a future before us. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, In his anger, or <clears throat> in his anger is but for a moment. In his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Can you guys say amen to that? There is. There's times I can't wait to get to bed. There's some days that are just really long and really hard, you know, and I just want to fall asleep. Hey, Lord, please, I just want to sleep because I know your mercies are new every morning. You guys know what I'm talking about? Don't you just love that? It's just like a fresh start, and that's our God. I'm thankful. You guys ever wonder why we have to sleep? He's designed that. He knew what life was good. We need that break. Time out, start over. (laughs) And I'm thankful for that. So when we learn how to mourn, we have a deeper understanding of the sinfulness of sin and then the graciousness of God. And I hope you guys are growing in the grace of God, right? 2 Peter 3.18, we're growing the grace of God. There's grace upon grace. That's something that we should be grasping and understanding. So... Whose mourning then leads to comfort, okay? Well, everyone who's mourning leads them to who? Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful thing. God's near who? The brokenhearted. I love that. It's good to be broken. Why? Because then you're closer to God. Some of the people who have the closest relationships with Christ are some of the people who've gone through some of the most horrific things I've ever known or ever seen or ever heard of. But really, how does that work? Well, again, God's ways aren't ours. (laughs) He uses that. So whenever you're sorrow, whenever you're burdened, whenever you have heartache, if it turns your missteps towards him, you are sure to find consolation and comfort. So would you not now exchange your bitter sorrow for the world's rarest joy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys, we have something the world doesn't have, okay? Just because we're believers doesn't make us exempt from trials and hardships, not at all. But we do have something the world doesn't have, and that's this relationship, this comfort from God Almighty. I want to wrap up by sharing a story that Robert Louis Stevens tells of a storm. They were caught in a vessel of a rocky coast and threatened to drive it and its passengers to destruction. In the midst of terror, one daring man, contrary to orders, he went out on the deck, made a dangerous passage to the pilot house, and saw the steerman lashed fast to the post, holding on to the wheeling unwaveringly, and inch by inch turning the ship out once more to sea. The pilot saw the watcher and smiled. Then the endangering passenger went below and gave out a note of cheer. I've seen the face of the pilot, and he smiled. All is well. 
Have you seen the face of Jesus? Look upon him, guys, and you will know all is well. I told you we're going to wrap up by going to Ecclesiastes 7, if you guys would turn there now. I had planned on wrapping study up right here this morning, but uh, James, during prayer this morning, actually brought this up and uh, brought some confirmation. It'd be good for us just to really take a moment to look at a few of these verses. It tells us here in chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1, a good man is better than a precious, precious ointment in the day of death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, and the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So your death day is better than your birthday. That's what it tells us here. Really? Really? Well, let's consider it for a second. If you have a good name, okay, your death will be better than your birth because nothing will be able to hurt your name, right? On the day of your birth, you were given a name. And on the day of your death, that name will either, uh, you know, uh, be putrid to some or fragrant to some whenever they hear your name, depending on how you lived, right? So, you've heard it said, we all have on our tombstone two dates. One we're born, one we die, and a little dash in between. What matters is what we do with that little dash, right? In between our life, that's all that matters. So if you look at verse 2 here, funerals are better than feasts. How many of you guys like going to funerals? Well, God says we should. Why? <laughs> well, it's saying here, let's go hang out at a funeral, or if you go hang out at a funeral home, you're going to have some answers um, given. Really, the answer is why he makes the statement uh, after the word for here. But memorial services, think about what usually happens when you go to one. Okay? Um, it gets everybody's attention regarding life and death, doesn't it? I mean, that's really what happens at a funeral. Hey, let's talk about this guy's life. Now he's dead what are you guys going to do with your life now? I mean, that's kind of what it is. It makes you think of uh, eternal things. But that is helpful. Why? Because it reminds us that there is still time to change. There's still time to change. Some of you guys are bad situations. It needs to change. Some of you guys have wrong thinking. It needs to change. There's time to examine. There's time to confess. There's time to forgive. There's time to plan ahead. Praise God. Does anybody in this room know when they're going to die? Anybody? No. Okay. Do we have false teachers in the church telling us when Jesus is coming back? No, we don't know the day or the hour. We know he is, but we don't know when. The point is, guys, we don't know when we leave to go with him or he comes to take us. We don't know when it's going to happen. What we do know, guys, is that we have today. And we do have time to examine. We do have time to get right. We do have time to plan ahead. So Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, right? 
If you look at verses 3 and 4 here, it says sorrow is better than laughter. Really? Sorrow can teach us lessons, guys, that will not be learned any other way. Okay? You guys know it's true because I think we've all gone through something along those lines. We grow through those things. How many of you guys remember the Wizard of Oz? Yep. Awesome. All right. You guys remember when the Wizard of Oz says to the Tin Man? How many of you guys, Tin Man was your favorite? A few of you guys? Awesome. How many of you guys like the lion? Scarecrow? Okay. Toto? Couple dog people. Awesome. <laughs> Anyways, you guys remember when he, the wizard said to the tin man, as for you, my galvanized friend, you want a heart? You don't know how lucky you are not to have one. Hearts will never be practical until they can be unbreakable. Well, we know that's quite, quite the opposite. It's true, right? God uses that stuff. He uses a broken heart. The fact is, hearts are fragile, which really makes them practical, makes them useful. You see, in sorrow, if only we can remember two things, let it be there are lessons or a lesson to be learned, okay? Learn from them. And secondly, a work to be accomplished. What can we learn from this? And then what can we do from this? Pretty simple, huh? A lot of people don't want to consider it. They don't want to do nothing about it. While God is with us, he'll give us the wisdom. He'll show us through. So I want to close with a poem by Robert Browning. He said, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way. But left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow in near a word she said. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. I love that. So let's uh, stand and we'll close in prayer together. Yeah, Father, we, uh, we're thankful for your word this morning. We thank you for how practical uh, these truths are. God, we pray that you would help us to have a godly sorrow. Father, that we would really mourn just over our sin, our disobedience, our rebellion. Father, really we as a people, this world just seems, Father, just so contrary to you. And you're what we need. You are our hope. Uh, but we also understand and realize um, that in life that there's going to be trials there's going to be hardships, Father. The pain truly is a powerful force. God, and I know that none of us can choose the type of suffering that we're going to go through in this life, that we're going to face, but we definitely can choose the direction in which it's going to push us, and we want that direction to be towards you, always towards you, Father, because we know that you are good. We know that you are the becoming one. You're the great I am. You're exactly what we need, and we do thank you that you do, Father, comfort those who mourn, God, that your comfort is so beyond anything, Lord, that this life can offer or anyone else can offer us. And we're thankful that you're there. So I just pray for my brothers and sisters, God, that you'd be lifting our heads to you, that we'd be able to just be able to fix our eyes upon you, Jesus, to see your big smile. 
Father, we know that you do smile over us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for these blessings, Father, that you've given us in the Beatitudes. Let us learn them well, God, and cling to them. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Encourage you guys to actively choose good. Okay? God has good in view. God bless you guys. See you next week. Lord willing. Love you.